Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi there, welcome to another episode of the Evolving Accountant Podcast, powered by Harlan's Accountants. Delighted today to be joined by Christopher Walkie, founder of Glass of Bubbly and Champagne Collectors. First of all, welcome to the show, Christopher. And for our listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, but more importantly, what your drive is to get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> to get out of bed in the morning, maybe it's the smell of breakfast, I don't know, but I think it's... When you're an entrepreneurial kind of person, it's every day is a fresh, it's a new start, there's unknown. You're looking to absorb all of the kind of opportunities that await you. So I think for me, the, the thing of getting up in the morning is what's, what's going to be, what's going to happen today. Okay, perfect. So can we sort of rewind the clock a little and can we talk about what your journey or your career as an individual has been like? Yeah, we can be riding the clock very, very far back then on that basis. I would say I've just uh, got into entrepreneurship maybe a bit later on, say in my 30s. Uh, but the, the commencement of that was like what it is for many. It was trying different things, uh, looking for opportunities, making countless kind of mistakes until you start to gain yourself an identity within your industry. You get yourself a brand together, you get yourself an idea, and then you get yourself a, a, a kind of a direction. So. Going back probably 10, 12 years ago now, I started one of my companies, which was a marketing agency. From that, I got varied connections. I explored different kind of sectors. I, I, I then moved into property and marketing. And uh, nearer, well, still 10 years ago, <laughs> should I say, uh, I, I ventured into something I liked a lot, which was the wine industry. So I always had this passion for marketing. And th- during the last uh, you know few years, I've kind of progressed into what I would say is the more finer points of of, of, of wine, especially in, in that sector, where I get to enjoy some really good moments in, uh, in the industry with some with some top people. But there's a lot of history with regards to getting to the top, and there's a lot of failure. Okay. So can you describe what the brand does now? Obviously, the two that we're talking about today. Yeah, certainly. So Glass of Bubbly was always going to be a kind of young, fresh, easy to embrace, sparkling wine and champagne news platform. It originated with a magazine, which we retired after a few years because it we was getting more hits, should we say, on the website digitally as opposed to the physical magazine. And it then provided not only a source of information on the internet and social media channels, we did tasting. So we, we do the biggest tasting now in London dedicated to fizz, enabling people in the industry to explore new tastes, new uh, flavours from around the world. We also put together an award, which now take which take place in, in a month's time in London, where the best wines are judged and scored and receive their medals and, and trophies. So ultimately, Glass of Bobby is a news information channel. I have another concept, which I've just started off with some investors, and and that is Champagne Collectors. It's more precise in in what it does. It's an auction website for hard-to-find champagne labels, especially ones that are still in the original sellers of champagne. Okay, perfect. So 
Obviously, going from marketing and property into wine, what was the drive or what, what got you into the sector? Good question. So I was doing the property side and that was quite good. I had a couple of small time investors and I had a good few projects running. But what it was, I was very early with the ideas that I had. I, I used social media over 10 years ago and I was using video tours and I was talking about drone footage and it was literally way above anybody anybody's kind of capacity to take in. So I was getting quite frustrated. I also realized that the property industry was quite bland and boring. So when you turn up to a property show, people are showcasing softwares or for sale signs and all of this, and it wasn't overly engaging. So I thought, well, one, I just spread my knowledge into the wine industry, repeat the concept again, the same kind of marketing strategy. And actually, instead of going around property shows, why don't I go around wine shows and taste really good wine? So that was the idea behind it. I then did some research in London. We already had the domain name Glass Above You. We had it for a number of years before, ready for such a time that we was going to go into wine. So we went around a few wine shows. We saw the gaps in the market, and we created this news platform, uh, which still exists today, and it does very well. So that was literally it. It was a case of just sticking our nose in the wine industry and um, seeing what, what was missing, and we kind of built our brand behind what's missing as such. Okay. So you mentioned before, obviously, Glass of Bubbly and the awards and trophies and things like that. So can we talk about, obviously, the different types of sparkling wine and the obviously the different qualities as well? Wow, that's a big subject. That's a, we, we, we've hopefully got a few hours, but if I had to cut it down into a few sentences, everybody knows champagne, everybody knows Prosecco. So for Champagne, France, Prosecco from Italy, but they're, they're quite drastically different styles of sparkling wine. One's a traditional method, the Champagne. It goes through a longer process of aging. It's harder to make. It's more costly, whereas the Prosecco is a younger style wine, and it goes through a different process of being made. It's called the Tank Method, Charmette Method, uh, which means you know what, what, when the grapes are picked within a, a few months, that they, they can be on the shelf and, and for sale, whereas Champagne has to go through a longer more complicated process. So they're the two big, big um, kind of uh, sparkling wines that most people know. But then we've got Carver from Spain, which is a, a unique style. We've got England. We have English sparkling wine, sparkling wine from England. So because the uh, kind of the natural climate change is moving from a certain temperature in Champagne to a certain temperature in England, and seeing as the land and, and the soil type is relatively quite similar from northern France to southern England, uh, we're able to reproduce similar quality sparkling wines here in England. But sparkling wines is global. You can go to Canada. We can go down south to Chile. We can go across to Japan. We can go to Central Europe. We can go to Slovenia. You know, we've got all different places that produce sparkling wine, uh, northern and southern hemisphere. That is quite a journey. It's, it's an interesting journey, and uh, it's a lifetime worth of, of discovery. During the awards, what's the award every wine producer wants to win then? Oh, uh, yeah, good question. So we set our awards very differently to, compared to any other awards. We have consumer-friendly trophies that wineries can win. So we name our trophies in the style of wine which is inside the bottle. For instance, a wine may be fruity, it may be floral, oaky and toasty, or it may be biscuity and yeasty style. So we have uh, different categories that certain wines would like to win because they actually design their wine, should we say. The winemaker designs it 
in order to display a certain character because that's what the consumers are after. But we do have a main trophy. Our main trophy is for the highest uh, point scoring wine. And just like, say, a, a, a just like the FA Cup, the team wins it for the year, don't they? They go up and collect the trophy and they have to give it back the next year. We have our own FA Cup in, in Glass Above the Awards, and that's our big Karinks. So that's going to be what I'm looking at the trophy now. One, two, three, four, five, six years already. This is our seventh year. So it's a real good trophy for a winery to win because it gives them excellent PR. It gives them excellent PR and it, it gives them a, a recognition that maybe that winemaker uh, ultimately deserves. So you mentioned the points. What's the criteria of them points? Clearly, yeah. we're not saying like three points for a goal and things like that. Oh, yeah, well, or three points for a win, should we say? And yes, I, <laughs> we, well, we don't have anything. Uh, we don't have any yellow cards or offside ruled in in our in our award. But what we do have is they will score the wine in, in regards to the quality of the visual, the aroma, and ultimately the the, the flavour. And then it's a point scoring out of a hundred. So we'll have a a bronze and a silver and a gold level. I can't quite remember what they are, the exact points, but let's just say bronze is 80 to 85, silver is 86 to 89, and anything above 90, they would get a gold medal. And then they will also get put into a classification. So somebody may say, hey, this is quite a spicy style wine or a fruity wine. They then put it into a category. Each category has a winner. The highest point scoring in the category wins a, a, a mini trophy. And as we say, we have the, the top scoring wine would win win the big trophy. Sometimes that's a, a taste off. We've had that a few years. Two wines, exactly the same points, can't be a split. So we, we go back and they get retasted. Okay. All exciting stuff. When... <laughs> that's basically extra time and penalties, isn't it? Yeah, very good. If we're going down that route, yes, it is. It's extra times and penalties. We wouldn't do a replay. So it has to all get done because all of our judges fly from different parts of the world to, to take part in the, comp- in the competition. So it, obviously we, we have to decide all the results there and then over the few days of judging. So we don't have any, um, yeah, we don't have any replays, but we certainly would have penalties. No worries. So the marketing of a wine, a marketing of a bottle, how does a brand make their drink famous? A very good question. Well, I think some of the brands can stand beyond what is already a household name. Again, we go back to champagne. You know, if you're a producer in champagne, half the work is done for you because you are a champagne, in as much as if you are a Prosecco. So a lot of the work's done for you. Uh, and with champagne, you know, there's a few hundred years of history there. But some of the brands, especially champagne, has always been aspirational, luxury, lifestyle, glamorous, all of these kind of things. Uh, and they spent a lot of money over the years. It's not only recently, but over the years. And they still spend money. That's why you see Moët Chandon, Verve and other such names attached to big celebrity events. It may be the Oscars. It may be the Grand Prix. It may be fashion uh, kind of events. So they're spending countless money to keep their name, their brand at the very, very top, which obviously puts a premium on the cost of their bottle. So they're able to add a premium on top of their bottle because of the amount of money they're having to spend on marketing. And that also aids all of the smaller producers. It lifts them up because everybody wants to buy buy champagne. Some, some wineries are just having exceptionally good wine. 
So, you know, they, they could just stick a, a homemade label on the, on the bottle. And because the top critiques really uh, appreciate wine, they all have their place in the industry. Some wineries have a very good marketing, smaller budget, but very good marketing and branding design. Maybe they've got a little bit of history in the family. Maybe they've got a certain location they're set in. But, you know, most wines, most wineries, be it still wines or sparkling wines, have a relatively basic kind of branding, should we say, a basic website. And they've just got, you know, they're kind of working, working class people, should I say, they're farmers, they make the wines and they do their best to try and sell the wines at the same time. But, you know, there's top brands and there's small brands, I suppose, in every industry sector. So let's move on a little to the other side of today's chat around the champagne collectors and investing in wine. Can we talk about the desire or the demand for the invested in like champagne bottles? Well, I think there's certainly, I mean, that's always been around. I won't say it's, it's a new kind of trend, but I'm seeing it more and more increasing that companies are fixing, uh, they, they're either supplying champagnes for investment or, you know, certain brands are trying to go down that road where they want to make their wines more appealing to investors. Now, it may not be ultimately embraced by a certain a certain part of the sectors because they may see a touch callous, a touch I don't know, trying to squeeze money out of the industry. But there are lots of companies that are allowing people to trade in. Let's just say Dom Perignon, the, you know, the, all the usual names attaching to your comp and the Krugs, etc. Because there's massive demand for these wines. These wineries ultimately could sell each bottle three times over. But that then increases the demand. And obviously with demand, it, the, the, the prices go up. And, and what, the way to think about it is every day somebody's opening a bottle of champagne. So if you hold that champagne and it's a vintage, so it has a year on there, it increases in value each day because the rarity, the scarcity of it goes up. It's a big business and quite successful. You know, it's you know, it's a kind of battle between some of the well-known red wines and, and champagne for which is the most pr- profitable to invest in, and that's a relatively mid, short to mid-term investment required, and you can yield quite a a, a fair bit of percentage on your investment. But I, it's in the industry; it's part of the industry. I don't necessarily like it that much, but I do understand that's you know the way business works. Okay, so let's say I wanted to get into the game of investing in champagne. Is it best for me to go to the supermarket now, buy 10 bottles, put them in my loft for 10 years, forget about them to earn a bigger ROI, or buy something that's currently up for auction in the hope that it would then the ROI would increase in 10 years' time and resell it at a sold bottle already? Well, I'm no financial advisor, so I'd only give you my personal opinion. If you're going to store the wines in the loft, there's a problem there already because it could be the wrong temperature. So your storage is always very, very important. And the history of the storage is important. If you wanted to get into champagne, what I would suggest is, and you had budget, say, for buying 50 bottles, let's just say for argument's sake, buy something that you actually like. Make sure it is either a very good label, uh, it's like a prestige, a tete de cuvée, or a vintage, as opposed to a non-vintage champagne. But buy something you like, because then if if it doesn't go to plan, if the if the money you know if the, the value of it doesn't increase to what your expectations were, you've at least got something that you you will enjoy. So in ten years' time, it will evolve a little bit that wine in flavors and characters. 
But if you if you're clever in what you you purchase, you can either go for the big names. You could buy yourself a box of Dom Perignon, and you you kind of know that you're going to get a, a profit uh, within a number of years on, on that purchase. Again, if you can prove how it was stored, because that's important for for people. So you may need to keep it in a bonded warehouse or somewhere again that you can prove it's been stored correctly. Or you you find one of the smaller producers now. Champagne is made up ultimately of all the big labels that everybody knows and their household names. But there are thousands of smaller producers producing exceptionally good wine that themselves have a following internationally. So you could easily go to a smaller producer, buy twice the amount of champagne for the same price and see potentially twice the amount of profit. Okay. So obviously we had a chat before we did the recording and that I was upfront and honest and said that I'd never heard of buying champagne in the same way that people do with the whiskies and the aged sort of labels. And stuff. how long has this been going on for, and where do you see it growing to within the next three years? Well, I, I think the the current pressure on quality champagne means that the investment opportunity continues to increase. The more people globally become aware of champagne and have the opportunity to purchase, so maybe countries, maybe don't quote me on this, but countries such as India, uh, other kind of Eastern countries, maybe even China, weren't big champagne buying nations. Whereas today they're evolving, younger people are embracing uh, champagne. So there's a massive influx. So re- uh, lost a word, uh, requirement. Uh, demand is word demand from these countries so again it puts more pressure on champagne champagne can only produce a certain amount of bottles per year they, they, they can't just grow champagne anywhere it's within designated area so that is prosperous for anybody's looking to invest in champagne moving forward so i think short term it's still quite good. It all depends on the economy, of course. We don't know what's forthcoming with the economy. And in regards to the history of it, I believe it's always been there. But because there's online concepts, there's apps on phone, and you're able to track your progress of your investment very easier today, that there's more wine investments coming in. So there's more interest in, in that sector currently compared to what there was 10 years ago. Okay. So what's around the corner for, for your businesses, Christopher? I think Glass and Bubbly is pretty much, we always plan to carry on doing what we do and we just keep growing the content on the website, the amount of writers that write for us globally. We just want it to become really cemented position as the number one sparkling wine and champagne news channel online. There are a couple of ideas I've got, which maybe I can't say too much about for a kind of a private members club for champagne and sparkling wine lovers. But with regards to champagne collectors, let's look at that because that's a newer business. I would say the interest in, in champagne, the hard-to-find labels, is growing, and especially quality wines that have a history. The best situation is that the wine's still in the cellar of the original winemaker, and they've not yet released it. So the idea behind this concept is I'll travel to champagne, I will have a list of champagnes people are looking for, and I will put them onto our platform. So a, a, a kind of a unique opportunity for our members to purchase hard, rare to find champagne. And I believe that concept will grow, hence why we started the company. Okay, perfect. And last question for me for today was, what do you wish you'd known when you'd started out on your business ventures? What do I wish? That's a hard question to 
I, I don't know if that's a possible. I don't think you can answer that, and I'm stumbling here because you require all the bumps and bruises and all the mistakes that you made initially to get you to a point where you are of such character today. So I, I don't think you you really want to bypass that learning curve, and you have to be confident when you're an entrepreneur. You got to stick your neck out. So I don't. Again, I don't think that's something I would have learned. From the beginning, I suppose if I was looking back now and I could go back 10, 15 years, the only thing I would say is probably purchase more domain names, quality domain names, I think, because some of the domain names that I require today are purchased by someone else and they're worth quite a bit of money. Other than that, I suppose it was just knowing what the the, the horse racing results were or the lottery tickets results were, Darren, so a few years ago. But I don't think, I think you need the journey as an entrepreneur. You need to have all of that under your belt. And when you present yourself as a successful entrepreneur, you have so many scars uh, that, you know, you, you probably won't be able to explain to any, everybody uh, what you've gone through in order to be successful. So I don't think it would have been ex- as exciting if I would have, known what I required to know back then. I think I prefer to stick to the journey that I've had. Cool. Perfect. Very last question. If someone wants to find out more about you or your businesses, where's the best place for them to get that information from? Yeah, sure. So Glass of Bubble is quite easy because when we bought the domain name, we took all the social media names for it. So it's literally Glass of Bubbly from TikTok to Twitter, or dare I say X, wherever it is today, Facebook and Instagram. We're, we're on there as Glass of Bubbly, so we're quite easy to find on glassofbubbly.com. Champagne Collectors, a little bit of a newer company, but again, we're still on Instagram uh, and uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a very good, very, very good social media channel. We're on there, champagnecollectors.com, and you can find me. I'm not that, uh, I haven't got that common name, Christopher Walkie, so I am on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to reach out, if they think of any synergies and want to have a chat, do reach out. You know, I am, and we are as a brand quite approachable. Just want to say thank you for your time today. It's been great finding out more about the fizz factor. I'll be keeping an eye on what happens with investing in the wine in the future. Great stuff, Ewa. It was a physical challenge, but it is really worthwhile, Darren. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Accountant. You can find out more and get show notes for this and all our other episodes at theevolvingaccountant.co.uk.